All right, welcome back. Hey, Myth Nerds. It's uh, time for another episode of Mythalanius, a long time overdue. Welcome into 2019. I am Sparks, joined, of course, with uh, Brandon T. McClure. Hi, guys. And uh, it's been a little while. It has been a little while. Yeah, last time we were talking about Christmas myths. Yes. And now it's uh, February. Yep. <laughs> it's been an entire month. We, uh, we thought we'd be back earlier, but things happened. And things happened. Some personal stuff came up for, for both of us, and... Uh, we had to deal with it in our normal lives, and it, it was a lot of work just to keep Fake Nerd going through all that, so mm. we, we had to prioritize that over the show. Um, but we are also now keeping a little bit more of a consistent recording record of Mythalania, so hopefully no gap like that will happen again. Yeah, we, it shouldn't be the last time. I and mean, we're still a new show. This is only our fifth episode. Wow, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Uh it's your report this time, right? Yeah. Do you have anything you want to touch on before we move on? I guess Should I just wanted to ask, how are you doing? You know, you know what? It was a month. Yeah. It was a month. Yeah. Uh, but it's over now, and I'm hopeful that this month will be better. January's always a little weird. It really is. Like, you know, it, it, you know, it's bills, and everyone talks about, like, New Year, you know, going to January refresh, but it's like, no, no, no. You're going into January after a vacation where your bills have already piled up, and you probably took some time off work, so you're probably, you're probably broke. Like, guys, you need to... Yeah, I feel that. You need to just... January, you know. But it's over now. That's good, man. Yeah. How, was, how are you? How's your month? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I mean, I guess know. people probably have listened to Fake Nerd. Some. So, But I'm assuming that... I'm assuming... People who don't, yeah, you know, if you listen to Fake Nerd, you've kind of heard, checked in with us. But um, if you haven't, uh, I'm good. Um, I recently, I didn't even talk about this on Fake Nerd. I, I've, I finally got a new job. You did lined up, so yeah, I exclusive miscellaneous exclusive. Yeah, I don't start until the end of the month. Um, but that that has, I was going through a lot of anxiety for a few weeks sure. there for sure. So that that was part of my personal stuff going on. So I'm like, I just I'm losing it a little. Yeah. Um, but I feel a little more at ease. Um, I've applied for all the colleges I'm applying for. Nice. That's all done and behind me. Good luck. Thanks, man. Um, my healthcare finally got figured out. That was another thing. Good. So it's just I I feel for you. Yeah. You know, like I, I I've been in much the same place. Yeah. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't as openly express that with you sometimes, mm-hmm. but but I've definitely been feeling it. So it's well, nice for that to be over. Well, let's make this a therapy session instead of a mythology yeah, that sounds great. report. I mean, uh, everybody's been gone for so long. Let's just, uh, how does that make you feel? Oh, you know what? <laughs> it just makes me feel like I want to listen to some mythology. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's what we got today because we are uh, launching into Greek mythology for yeah. the first time. Uh, uh, this is leaving a, Norse behind for a while. This is a mythology that you and I uh, are very passionate about. This is, I believe, where we both started. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, uh, I'm going to actually quote to start today from a book. It's um, uh, Ingri and Edgar Perrin Dallaire's Book of Greek Myths. And mm-hmm. this book, with all its illustrations, which is very wonderful illustrations, um, <laughs> I sounded a little like Trump to me for a second there, and that bothered <laughs> me. Sorry. It's okay. That, that threw me off. Um this is uh, the exact same book. It's not the same copy that I'm holding in my hand, but it is the same book that I first read Greek myths in as a kid. Because this oh. is very much this is a book that caters Greek myths down to children. Yeah, like it very much presents it in a way where where children can get into Greek myths, and you know it doesn't it doesn't go into the very nasty parts of it, but it it more or less covers the broad strokes of the stories. Yeah, and uh, this was my first exposure to Greek mythology, really. Oh, that's exciting. Um, so I really like this book. Did you have this book when you no, were a kid? No, I didn't. Never. I, a, I don't remember having any Greek mythology books. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't remember why I got into mythology. I think I just had encyclopedias. I had this one single Greek mythology book that my parents had given me. Um, I can't remember exactly if it was 
that I had this book just after the Kevin Sorbo Hercules show had started, mm -hmm. and that's why they got it for me, or if I already had this book and liked the show because of this, and I, because I was familiar. Oh, for sure. Um, one of those things happened, um, but this book, I, I have very distinct memories of looking at the illustrations uh, of this book. This was, this was definition of Greek mythology to me um, for a long time before I started learning more about it. It's a gorgeous um, book. Yes, it really is. The illustrations in it are fantastic. This is a great book for anybody, but it definitely is, is catering to like introduce people, uh, specifically children, into Greek myths. But it's, it's still a really great book, even as an adult. Yeah. So um, to quote from that book, uh, it opens up with, in olden times, when men still worshipped ugly idols, there lived in the land of Greece a folk of shepherds and herdsmen who cherished light and beauty. They did not worship dark idols like their neighbors, but created instead their own beautiful, radiant gods. The Greek gods looked much like people and acted like them, too. Only they were taller, handsomer, and could do no wrong. Fire-breathing monsters and beasts with many heads stood for all that was dark and wicked. They were for gods and great heroes to conquer. The gods lived on top of Olympus, a mountain so high and steep that no man could climb it and see them in their shining palace. But they often descended to earth, sometimes in their own shapes, sometimes disguised as humans or animals. Mortals worshipped the gods, and the gods honored Mother Earth. They had all sprung for her, from her, for she was the beginning of all life. Ooh. So I'm talking about the Greek creation myth today. Exciting. Uh, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, there are several variations of the Greek creation myth, but the most predominant version comes from the poet Hesiod and his Theogony, which details the history and genealogy of the gods. Now, I'm not sure which version I'm quoting and reading from today. Um, I tried to find the translation, but I couldn't. It's coming out of Edith Hamilton's book, which is Mythology, Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes. Mm -hmm. In there, she quotes Hesiod's Theogony quite a bit. But I am not confident if it is uh, either the M.L. West version version, or the Hugh. Oh, um, I, ha I, I had to pull that. It was because um, I, I, I. The I Hugh G. Evelyn White Evelyn version. Evelyn White version, um, yes. It's one of those two, but I am not confident of which. Yeah. Um, I did some digging and I couldn't find the references for it. Uh, but it's one of those two. Those are those are the common top two translations of Hesiod's Theogony. Yeah. So just, just know that going in. Um, his theogony details the history and genealogy of the gods. From Hesiod's work and other myths, one of the most respected classicists, Robert Graves, he wrote a book, uh, The Greek Myths, that was published in 1955, ascertains the three creation stories exist. The, sorry, I'm going to try and translate this correctly. Pelagian creation myth, mm -hmm. the Homeric Orphic creation myth, that's a slash between Homeric and Orphic, yes. and the Olympian creation myth. Now, Graves interpreted Bronze Age Greece as changing from a matriarchal society under the Pelagians, a term used by classical Greek writers to either refer to populations that were the ancestors Greeks of Greeks or to signify all pre-classical indigenouses of Greece. Mm -hmm. um, in the Pelagian creation myth, Graves establishes there was nothing but the goddess of all things called Uranum, the goddess of all things. And she had arisen from solely chaos. That's chaos with a capital C. Yeah. She divided the seas and danced, and from her movement, creation was initiated. From her delicate fingers, she begot a snake god, Ophion. And her child, seeing this breathtaking goddess prance about, was filled with desire and coiled himself around his mother. She was impregnated with the universal egg. 
She bids Ophion to incubate the egg by coiling around it seven times until it splits in two. From this egg, all the universe sprang. The sun, moon, stars, earth, and all the world's creatures and critters. Pretty simple big bang kind of thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So that... The, the, I mean, Greek mythology has a lot of incest. Yeah, uh, it starts there, I guess. But what so I, this is this is not the common creation myth that that you and I know. Yeah, I've never heard this before. But I had neither till I. It did starts this. with chaos, which is a common theme. In a common theme in Greece. Mythology. Yeah, yeah. It, this was really interesting. I didn't know that there was. It, it is a much smaller school of thought that thinks this is this is the traditional obviously this existed in some sense but it seems to have existed in a very small sect and then the more proper as we know it greek mythology of hesiod's theogony that took over interesting um but this may have may have predated it it's not clear Mm -hmm. uh anyway in this version uranome who kicked the serpent from their home on mount olympus for his boast of having created all things uh set male and female titans for each wandering planet Athea and Hyperion for the sun, Phoebe and Atlas for the moon, Metis and Coius for Mercury, Tethys and Oceanus for Venus, Dion and Creus for Mars, Themis and Eurymedon for Jupiter, and Rhea and Cronus for Saturn. Then the first man emerged from the dust of Arcadia. His name was Pelagius, hence the title Pelagian, mm. in case that escaped you. He taught the rest of mankind all it needed to know about surviving. While Graves' retelling here has been praised as imaginative and poetic, the scholarship being the hypothesis and conclusions presented are generally criticized as weak. Yeah, that's real weird stuff. Because mm. he mentions, because we named the planets after Roman gods. Well, yeah, the, later so, on, yeah. Yeah, but does he do that on purpose or did he? I don't know. Interesting. I know. This is something that on a separate day I'd like to look a little more into the Pelagian thing at yeah. some point. It's definitely a footnote in my mind. I want to I want to actually get a hold of Robert Graves' book. Yeah. Um I didn't have the opportunity to do that. And I'd like to actually like delve into what he said about all this very specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because not- I'm just reading like people talking about his book. Yeah. I- I'd really like to to actually get his book. I've never heard um, of this. Because before. he he details like half his book is talking about this different mm-hmm. this different thing. Um he doesn't talk about Homeric and Orphic. Uh, mythology too much and you'll you'll kind of get why in a second um so there is some debate between the homeric version of creation and the orphic explanation uh those who heed to the homeric tale suggest that all gods goddesses and living creation originated within the waters of oceanus and tethys his wife was the original mother of all things in the iliad homer had only briefly alluded to the creation so this is homeric mythology is purely what homer put in those stories yeah it's not anything else he created outside of it yeah. what you know of from the iliad and the odyssey that's that's homeric mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in his version though when he alludes to creation he says that hera seduced zeus at mount ida in the hope of turning the tide against the trojans by lulling her husband to sleep to seduce zeus hera required aids from other gods at one point hera says quote from that book um this is a Robert Fitzgerald's translation, by the way. Uh, to see Oceanus, from whom the gods arose, and Mother Tethys. Uh, she used Hy- Hypnos to lull Zeus to sleep. Hypnos boasted to Hera that he could even lull Oceanus to slumber. And again, a quote from that book, the primal source of all that lives. However, Hypnos was reluctant to help Hera because the first time he helped her, he was almost thrown into the deep sea. Fearing Zeus's rage, Hypnos had to take refuge with his mother, Nyx, or Night. Powerful as Zeus was, the king of gods feared the all-subduing Night. Hey, I'm going to give you a little sizzle. That same exact story comes up again in my report. Great. 
to Homer, Oceanus and Tethys were more ancient than the Titans. They were referred to as the world parents or creators, displacing Uranus and Gaia, which is the more traditional one, or that of Cronus and Rhea in the Pelagian. Oceanus has a stream that completely circumvented the Earth, which was a flat round disk. And Tethys was said to be the mother of the gods. Homer was more interested about the war at Troy than about creation, so much has been left unsaid. The Orphics, however, claim that it was Nyx, or night, and Erebus, or Eros, darkness, who gave birth to a silver egg in which Eros hatched... <coughs> Sorry, and so in their version, there's Erebus, and then there's Eros. Okay. I know Erebus and Eros later in the Hesiod version are, are the same. Yeah. Here, Erebus is darkness who gave birth to a silver egg in which Eros, also darkness, hatched and thus set the world in motion, cutting out Urinum. Can I, can I real quickly, yeah. uh, anecdote, I was um, looking through Bullfinch's mythology, which is oftentimes considered like the premier mythology book. Um, I was looking through it and uh, it's interesting how a lot of names throughout time or just different people like, consider them the same person. Like uh, in Bullfinch's mythology, he considers Morgana... Uh, in Arthurian legend, Morgana as the Lady of the Lake and Morgan Le Fay as two different people. Right. I thought uh, that was interesting. Th- this came up when we did our last Norse uh, one too and I talked about their their uh, old, I forget the name right now, but the, the Lady of the of Winter who yeah. was the, uh, the indigenous race there. Their mythology about her, her and her daughter were named the same. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how that happens. Yeah. So, uh, set the world in motion and it cut out Urinum. Uh, this Eros was nothing like the mischievous cherub often associated with the Romans Cupid, though. This Eros was double-sexed with four heads and had created the Earth, sky, moon, and planets. Nyx was personified as a, tri- as a triad of night, order, and justice, and was the ruler of all this until her power was granted to Uranus. Hmm. Or Uranus. Uh, behind the myth is the religion of salvation for the human soul, which was named after the mythical singer Orpheus, thus Orphic mythology, which is very much combined with Homer. Mm-hmm. The most complete and accepted version of the Greek creation myth that survives, and the one that we'll mostly refer to and talk to about going forward, is a poem called the Theogony, <clears throat> sometimes called the Theogony and Works and Days, or Birth of the Gods, by a poet named Hesiod, who lived in the late 8th or early 7th century B.C., uh, not much is known about him except that his dad lost all of his money when his ship sank and his brother tried to rob him of his inheritance. These two facts may account for the tone of the myth. Yeah, that sucks for him. <laughs> yeah. So first, there was chaos. And from ca- chaos, Gaia, or Mother Earth, emerged. She soon had her son Uranus, who instantly show- showered her with fertility and impregnated her with the... <laughs> this is a hard one. Hecantra... Hec- Hecanton Cheris. Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to try. That's a hard one. I've, I've looked at the how to say this and it's still hard. Yeah. Hecanton Cheris. Hundred-handed giants is what it means. Oh, okay. Uh, Cyclops and Titans. Uranus and Gaia were also the parents of all the seas, mountains, and natural features of the world. You'll notice that in all these versions that is, there is a female mother figure that is responsible for creation. Unlike the Judeo-Christian tradition of an all-powerful father, most of the pre-Hellenic and Hellenic cultures first entertained the notion of a female-dominated society. All feminine powers eventually lost to her male counterparts with the rise of patriarchal domination. There is no doubt, however, that ancient cultures were utterly fascinated with the fact that a woman gave birth, and this is apparent in the creation stories. So, so it's a bunch of people being like, so how does it work? 
Whoa. Well, it's pretty interesting when you think about the fact that like it just makes sense. Yeah. Because they at their time they're they're looking at it and it's like women give birth to this even goes back to like what we were just talking about in that Norse myth, the the ancient one, it's not an all father, it's a woman who is the lady of winter. The Sami. Yeah. Uh, in the people. Samis, yes. Yeah. Uh she it's a female, and then it became Odin. Mm-hmm. Um and in this one, it's very much a, you know, this used to be something that that it's, was a right of women because of their ability to give life. They give creation. It's so interesting to <laughs> see, like, around the world, a kind of sea change. And you see this when, when Christianity uh, sweeps across the land. It's, yeah. it's always It always kind of happens in waves of this happened and then this happened and it always kind of coincides around the same time. Right. Like pe- people were talking. It, it almost feels like it. people were talking and sharing these stories and going back to their lands and then spreading that like that. For sure. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of interesting to see. Uh, so an example of male influence uh, before Hesiod told a more patriarchal vor- version in which the first woman is the cause of much trouble. This is Pandora right. whose name means gift giver was known in oral tradition as a beneficent earth goddess Mm -hmm. so pandora's name was essentially slandered by hesiod's later version oh interesting um he he didn't like her no because as i'm saying his his is a bit more of a patriarchal take even though he still has the matriarchal figure of creation everything about that later on is still uh, actually more patriarchal than the others that I was referencing, the Orphic, the Pelagians. Right. Um, <clears throat> and it literally changed the opinion of the name Pandora Whoa, at the time. That's so interesting. And to this day. Because her name means gift giver. It's yeah. supposed to be a good thing. I never knew that. And to this day, like her, <laughs> to this day, her, her name. It's a bad thing. Her name means something bad. Yeah. Um, so the theogony goes as follows. In the beginning, there was chaos, a yawning nothingness. Out of the void emerged Gaia, the earth, and other divine beings. Eros, who here means desire or sexual love, the abyss, or Tartarus, uh, the underworld, and the Erebus, the unknowable place where death dwells, otherwise called darkness. So there you have Erebus and Eros being separate. Yes. Uh, and Nyx, night. Without male assistance, Gaia gave birth to Uranus, the sky, who then fertilized her. <laughs> like I know you're, I know you're swallowing, but it feels, it feels really weird to you know, the way you said it. It's like. Who then fertilized her? Like, that's weird. No, that was that was partially intentional. Oh, okay. Uh, so here's a more pretty version of this from Delaire's book of Greek myths. Uh, and this is about Gaia and Uranus. Gaia, the earth, came out of darkness so long ago that nobody knows when or how. Earth was young and lonesome, for nothing lived on her yet. Above her rose Uranus, the sky, dark and blue, set all over with sparkling stars, he was magnificent to behold, and young Earth looked up at him and fell in love with him. Sky smiled down at Earth, twinkling with his countless stars, and they were joined in love. Soon, young Earth became Mother Earth, the mother of all things living. All her children loved their warm and bountiful mother and feared their mighty father, Uranus, lord of the universe. Uranus is huge. So, you know, not addressing the Earth gave birth to him yeah. and then had sex with him it's very much a oh he just rose up one day and they they looked at each other for a long time and fell in love yeah okay and out of their love came creation screw him. <laughs> well <laughs> so this is the actual poetry from hesiod as it has been translated earth the beautiful rose up broad bosomed she that is the steadfast base of all things 
And fair earth first bore the starry heaven equal to herself, to cover her on all sides and to be a home forever for the blessed gods. In all this thought about the past, no distinction had as yet been made between places and persons. Uh, I'm now quoting from Edith Hamilton's mythology, Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes, that she says, Earth was the solid ground, yet vaguely a personality too. Heaven was the blue vault on high, but it acted in some ways as a human being would. To the people who told these stories, all the universe was alive with the same kind of life they knew in themselves. They were individual persons, so they personified everything which had the obvious marks of life, everything which moved and changed, earth and winter and summer, the sky with its shifting stars, the restless sea, and so on. It was only a dim personification, something vague and immense, which, with its motion, brought about change and therefore was alive. That was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, Edith Hamilton. From the union of Gaia and Uranus, they produced three sets of children, the three one-eyed Cyclopses, Brontus, Steropus, and Argus, a race of one-eyed giants, and the three Hecanton Crucis. <laughs> yeah. Hecanton Chires, Kotos, Briaros, and Gygus. Hundred-handed giants of even greater power and ferocity than their next siblings, the Twelve Titans. Man, can you imagine twelve, a uh, hundred hands? No. Like, a lot of the concepts that we get in these mythologies sometimes are, like, too too big to actually grasp. Yeah. It's like trying to grasp infinite. Like, they just <coughs> kind, kind of, they just kind of, like, how many, like, Jerry... <laughs> Jerry the Viking. Jerry the Viking. He's just like, well, how many hands did he have? A hundred. Shut up. I don't yeah. care. No, just be quiet, Jerry. It's too many. It's too many hands. You can't count them. Yeah. Uh, so the 12 Titans were six males. Uh, Coes, Chris, Crius, sorry, Cronus, Hyperion, Epitus, and Oceanus. Does your, does your, the, did you find anything of, of Cronus and Kronos being two different people? No. Okay, because I did once, and that was real weird for me. Because yeah. I was like, this is a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. I know, Cronus, Kronos. I'm going with Cronus because that's how it's said in the Theogony. Yeah. Um, but I, I also have many times known him as Kronos. Yeah. So I, th- it's, I think there's uh, I think there's supposed to be different people, but I don't think it matters anymore. Yeah, it's it's weird. Six females, um, Nemosyne, Phoebe, Rhea, Thea, Themis, and Tethys. And after Kronos time was born gaia and uranus decreed no more titans were to be born oh see that's the difference chronos time yeah chronos father of zeus right i think that i think they're supposed to be different people. yeah yeah i don't know it was and yet they're the same yeah it was a rabbit hole i didn't want to go down uranus was so disgusted with the hick god it's in here so many times with the hick hick chires you wrote it you could have taken it i know i know but i don't have there's no other name for them right uh the hundred-handed giants that he imprisoned them into the hidden places of the earth pushing all her children back into gaia's womb this angered gaia and she plotted with her sons against uranus she made a harp uh which is uh h-a-r-p-e a great adamant sickle uh sickle and tried to incite her children to attack Uranus. All were too afraid except the youngest titan, Cronus. Gaia and Cronus set up an ambush for Uranus. As he was preparing to lay with Gaia, Cronus castrated him with the sickle, throwing his severed genitals into the ocean. I've heard this part. Oh. He literally hid inside of her. And then he jumped out, (laughs) castrated him with the sickle, and threw his severed genitals into the ocean. Jerry the Viking, hold up. Yeah. No, no time, Jerry. It is unclear as to what happened to Uranus afterward. He either died, withdrew from the earth, or exiled himself to Italy. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Those are the options. Yes. 
He went to. He either died, withdrew from the earth, or he exiled himself to Italy, which is comparable to those two things for whatever reason. You know, Odin either was abducted or he just went on a long walk. <laughs> so stupid. I love mythology. From the blood that Wait, was. What was so bad about Italy? What was so bad? It's about- not Greece. Why? So it was just man, it was it Greece? It was just like <laughs> I mean, think about man. it. At their time, at their time, there aren't that many locations that they're thinking about. Sure. So like, Italy's as far south as they can think. Because again, the world is flat. There's nothing past Italy going south from Greece. So this all-powerful deity decided to go to Italy. You know, it was to answer Jerry. <laughs> it's like okay but like where but where Italy I don't care <laughs> I don't care he's really far gone as far as the end of the earth Italy Italy <laughs> anyway from the blood that was spilled on the earth due to his castration emerged the giant the gigantus or giants the Malai or the ash tree nymphs and the Aranus, the vengeful furies from the sea foam that was produced when his genitals fell into the ocean... I've heard this part. ...arose Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Yep. Yeah, it did. <laughs> his genitals fall into the ocean. Sea foam is created by the, the, the crash, uh-huh. and that is Aphrodite. Hey, do you know... I just found out how, how sperm whales got the name. Completely unrelated, probably. I, I do know, but you want to tell the story. Yeah, now. I do want to. Go ahead. I just found out that the reason why sperm whales got there, because I didn't know this. Right. I guess when they were first whale hunting and they like opened a, a sperm whale's head, and it had a bunch of like white liquid that they just assumed was sperm. And would later find out that it's not, but the name <laughs> stuck. Right. No, no. There you go. What a world. Frothy. <laughs> no, not on this podcast. Nyx produced many children. This is night, including Moros, Doom, Oneroi, Dreams, Care uh, and the Caris, Destinies, Eris, which is Discord, Momos, Blame, Philades, Love, Garrus, Old Age, Thanatos, Death, the Moirai, Fates, Nemesis, Retribution, the Hesperidus, Daughters of Night, Hypnos, Sleep, Oasis, Hardship, Napati, Deceit. Eris, in her turn, produced Ponos, which is pain, Hismine, which is battles, the Nekia, quarrels, the Phonoi, uh, murders, Leith, oblivion, Makai, fight, Pseudologos, which are lies, Amphiologia, disputes, Lemos, famine, Androx, Androxtasia, manslaughters, eight, ruin, Dysnomia, lawlessness, the algae, illness, Horkos, oaths, and Logoi stories. Anything about Charon? Uh, he did come up in stuff I was reading, but nothing that I yeah. think I directly reference here. Um, I, I mean, <clears throat> I'll talk about my own report yeah. actually. But there was another anecdote I wanted to share, and it's gone. Continue, please. Sure. After oh, I just remembered. I'm sorry. Uh, Wikipedia, you know. It's not a great source for for a lot of this stuff, um, but there's a th- when it gets to th- the theogony, it's got a han- handy little uh, sure uh, uh, family tree uh-huh. that I thought was kind of cool. Gotcha. Very helpful. After Uranus's castration, Gaia married Pontus, and they went on to produce a line of sea deities, nymphs, and monsters, including Nereus, the old man of the sea, also known as Proteus, 
and Forces in other aspects, from whom were descended the Nereids, the 50 nymphs of the sea, the best known being Thetis. Mm -hmm. Thaumas, who later married the Oceanid Electra and bore Iris, or Rainbow, and the two winged spirits, Aello and Osipetes, known as the Harpies. Euryba and Cetus, a hideous sea monster. Cetus and her sibling Forces had many children of their own, including the Grey, the three gray witches with one eye and one tooth shared among them. The three Gorgons, the best known being the snake-haired Medusa, who would later give birth to the winged horse Pegasus. <coughs> Wait. Yep. Medusa gives birth to Pegasus? Yep. That I didn't know. There you go. Echidna, a serpent-bodied monster who in turn produced many other well-known monsters such as the Nemean Lion, the Chimera, the Hydra, the Sphinx, and Cerberus, and Ophion. The Titans married between themselves and had Titan offspring of their own. Oceanus and Tethys bore the three-headed thousand, the, sorry, the three thousand oceanid nymphs, including Electra, Calypso, and Styx, as well as all the rivers, fountains, and lakes of the world. Thea and Hyperion had Helios, which is the sun, Selene, the moon, and Eos, dawn. Creus and Eurybia bore Astrios, Astrios, uh, father with Eos of the winged of the wind gods, Zephyros, Boreas, Notos, and Eurus as well as all the stars, Pallas, father with the Oceanid Styx, of Zelos, or Zeal, Nike, or Victory, Kratos, or Strength, and Baia, or Force. And Perses, Coius and Phoebe married to produce Leto and Asteria, mother with her cousin Perseus of Hecate, the goddess of wilderness, childbirth, witchcraft, and magic. Uh, Epitus married the Oceanid nymph Climene and had Atlas, Menetus, Prometheus, and Epimethus. Point here being like there were a lot of different births uh, between the other creation myths I mentioned yeah. and where they come from here. It's a lot of names, I know. Okay. Cronus became the ruler of the gods with his sister wife, Rhea, as his consort. Did you do that on purpose? Sister wife? I mean, it's true. Yeah. The other titans became his court. Because Cronus had betrayed his father, he feared that his offspring would do the same. So each time Rhea gave birth, Cronus snatched up the child and ate it. You know, normal. What's the point of having kids? <laughs> just don't have kids. I never got that part. Like, don't, just don't have kids. They don't have um, condoms or, you know, other birth control. And abortions aren't cool. Well, they're In Greek mythology all times. powerful creatures. Eating them is a better decision. It really isn't, <laughs> as we'll see. But okay. Hestia, the goddess of the hearth and dom uh, domesticity... Demeter, goddess of the earth and fertility, Hera, goddess of women and marriage, Hades, god of the underworld, Poseidon, god of the sea, and Zeus, god of the sky and thunder, were born in that order. Rhea hated Cronus' treatment of her children, and just like Gaia before him, plotted against her husband. On the advice of her mother, Gaia, when it was time to give birth to her sixth child, Rhea hid herself on Crete, leaving the newborn child to be raised by the nymphs on the island. To conceal her act, she wrapped up a stone in swaddling clothes and passed it off as a supposed baby to Cronus, who, unaware of her intentions, swallowed it yet again gross the child was of course zeus raised by the nymphs uh Adrestria and ida and the she the she goat amalthea he quickly grew into a handsome youth in a cave on the cretan mount ida when the time came he left crete to ask his future wife the titaness metis or wisdom for an advice on how to defeat cronus yeah it's um <coughs> the story is wonderfully recreated in god of war 2 yep and uh i remember being a little Little kid loving Greek mythology, seeing that I'm like, it's so accurate. This is a video game. 
Except it's Gaia as the mother of Zeus and not Rey. Right. Which is a little weird. But cut, out, hey. cut out the middleman. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> Metis uh, answered by preparing a drink indistinguishable from Cronus' favorite wine by designed to make him vomit for ages. <laughs> yep. Okay, I'm sorry. You will vomit for, for ages. ages. Zeus disguised himself as the god's cupbearer and after a while successfully slipped Metis' drink to Cronus. The plan worked perfectly. Cronus started vomiting and spilled out all of Zeus's five siblings, but only after throwing up the stone. Called Omphalus, or the navel, the stone was later set up at Delphi by two eagles Zeus sent to meet at the center of the world. Overwhelmed with gratitude, Rhea's children, Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon recognize Zeus as their leader, forming the Olympians. Mm. And Aphrodite, this is interesting, <clears throat> Aphrodite is already born at this point. Yes. Interesting. Because mm. she's also an Olympian. Yes. Huh, okay. However, Cronus was still in command and yet to be defeated. He was too old to protect himself from the attacks of his progeny, but he enlisted the help of the faithful Titans, who and he also just threw up everything. Who also feared for ages. Who also feared the new generation of gods. This led to a decade-long war, but just a decade, a decade-long <laughs> war between the Titans and the Olympians, remembered by generations hence as the Titanomachy. <laughs> Not kidding. That's a great name. Uh, yeah, that, that's the that's the war that created the land as we see it. Yes. Yeah. From Hesiod's Theogony, a dreadful sound troubled the boundless sea. The whole earth uttered a great cry. Wide heaven shaken, groaned. From its foundation, far Olympus reeled beneath the onrush of the deathless gods, and trembling seized upon black Tartarus. Hmm. Atlas became the Titan's leader and led his armies to many victories. At one point, it even seemed that Zeus would be defeated. However, at the advice of Gaia, he went to Tartarus and released the Cyclopses and the... Hundred-handed giants. In gratitude, the Cyclopses provided Zeus with his signature thunderbolt. They also made a trident for Poseidon and a helmet of, invis of invisibility for Hades. The tables had turned. <laughs> Something the, the, the <clears throat> movie Hercules gets very wrong. Mm -hmm. However, as so many times before, the final victory would not be the result of brute force, but it would happen due to a cunning little trick, possibly devised by Prometheus, who deserted from the Titan's army beforehand. Armed with boulders, the hundred-handed giants set an ambush for the Titans. Now you know. Yeah. <laughs> set an ambush for the Titans. At the right time, Zeus retreated his forces, drawing the Titans into the hundred-handed giants' trap. The hundred-handed ones started raining down hundreds of boulders with such a fury that the Titans thought the mountains were falling down upon them. Casting his fury of thunderbolts at the Titans, he was able to throw them down into Tartarus. Mm -hmm. And Zeus could finally consider himself the king of the universe. Zeus punished his conquered enemies terribly. From Hesiod's Theogony, bound in bitter chains beneath the wide-weighed earth, as far below the earth as over earth is heaven, for even so far down lies Tartarus. Nine days and nights would a bronze anvil fall, and on the tenth reach earth from heaven, and then again falling nine days and nights, would come to Tartarus the brazen fenced. He made an exception with Atlas, though. Being the leader of the opposing force, he was punished to hold the universe on his shoulders. Again, from Hesiod's Theogony, to bear on his back forever the cruel strength of the crushing world and the vault of the sky, upon his shoulders the great pillar that holds apart the earth and heaven, a load not easy to be borne. And then I need to pull out Edith Hamilton's book, because I'm going to read a section that she wrote. It's a very good book. It is a very be good book. Beautiful book. You got a good, uh, got a good copy there. Thank you. 
um, going from page 68. Bearing this burden, he stands forever before the place that is wrapped in clouds and darkness, where night and day draw near and greet one another. The house within never holds both night and day, but always one, departing, visits the earth, and the other in the house awaits the hour for her journeying hence. One with far-seeing light for those on earth, the other holding in her hands, sleep, the brother of death. Even after the Titans were conquered and crushed, Zeus was not completely victorious. Earth gave birth to her last and most frightful offspring, a creature more terrible than any that had gone before. His name was Typhon. This is from Hesiod. A flaming monster with a hundred heads who rose up against all the gods. Death whistled from his fearful jaws. His eyes flashed glaring Can it be fire. Like two heads? <clears throat> no. A hundred heads. A hundred heads. A hundred heads. Hey. Hamilton continues, but Zeus had now gotten the thunder and lightning under his own control. They had become his weapons used by no one else. He struck Typhon down with, quoting from Hesiod, the bolt that never sleeps, thunder with breath of flame. Into his very heart the fire burned, his strength was turned to ashes. Now he lies a useless thing. By Athena, whence sometimes there burst rivers red hot, consuming with fierce jaws the level fields of Sicily. Lovely with fruits, and that is Typhon's anger boiling up, his fire-breathing darts. It's volcanoes. Oh. Hamilton says, still later, one more attempt was made to unseat Zeus. The giants rebelled. But by this time, the gods were very strong, and they were helped, too, by mighty Hercules, a son of Zeus. Mm -hmm. The giants were defeated and hurled down to Tartarus, and the victory of the radiant powers of heaven over brutal forces of earth was complete. From then on, Zeus and his brothers and sisters ruled, undisputed lords of all. Good for them. I'm as, proud of them. As yet, there, was, there were no human beings, but the world now cleared of the monsters was ready for mankind. It was a place where people could live in some comfort and security without having to fear the sudden appearance of a titan or a giant. The earth was believed to be a round disk divided into two equal parts by the sea, as the Greeks called it, which we know as the Mediterranean. But, they, uh, but what they called it was the Black Sea. Oh... According to Robert Graves, most believe that man was spawned instantaneously and spontaneously from Mother Earth. From her offspring, there were five races of men. The Golden Race were the subjects of Cronus. As their name suggests, they were a glorious bunch with little labors and charmed lives. They ate of the best fruits and drank the best wine and laughed and danced continuously. They had no cares, and why should they? They never grew old, and they were unafraid of death, which they viewed as infinite slumber. Because of their frivolous and lackadaisical nature, all of the golden race became extinct. <laughs> <clears throat> However, their aura of happiness, good fortune, and justice still haunt us today. <laughs> They're like, it's fine, we'll live forever, and dead. <laughs> the Silver Race were probably best described as mama's boys because of their obedience to law. However, they were also very belligerent and stupid. They ignored offerings to the gods, prompting Zeus to hurl a thunderbolt and destroy them. <laughs> Just one. That's the end of them. Just one lightning bolt. And they were all dead. All dead. No. That's it. The brazen race from fell from ash trees and were the first to carry weapons. A brazen, of course... You know, yeah. uh, they ate bread, but also flesh, and probably were the most violent and savage. Because of their macabre demeanor, the Black Death eventually obliterated every last one. <clears throat> the Brazen Race Two, as I like, as Robert Graves likes to call them, um, were descendants of the first Brazen Race. But these men were far nobler and wiser than their predecessors. Born to gods and mortal, both they also displayed a generosity that was apparent in their warfare. Appropriately, many of them were heroes who sailed with the Argonauts, fought the Trojan War, and battled at the sea at the seas of Thebes. 
The Iron Race were the present descendants of the Brazen Race too, but very unworthy of their ancestry. Most were cruel, crafty, mischievous, sly, malicious, treacherous, and libidinous, exactly like most men are now. So now we've we've gone away from extinction <clears throat> level events to just descendants. Yes. Okay. Uh, now we'll come back to the creation of man in a moment, but first let's talk some Olympians. Zeus Ooh, like some Olympians. is now established as king of the Olympian gods, and he first married the Oceanid Metis. But in order to avoid a prophecy that any offspring of his union with Metis would be greater than he, Zeus swallowed Metis herself to prevent her from giving birth. And hinged his jaw like a snake? <laughs> well, you know, he learned from Cronus. He's like, I'm not going to eat the babies, I'll just eat the wife. Uh, okay. However, Metis was already pregnant with Athena at the time. And she nurtured her inside Zeus until Athena oh, burst why Athena forth from Zeus's forehead fully armored. I've always wondered about that. That is why. Interesting. You're welcome. I thought it was just a thing. thing. Nope. Okay. It's because he ate the woman who was having her. Oh, good for Athena. Zeus's second wife was the Titan Themis, who bore the three horror, the, the hours, goddess controlling orderly life, Eunomia, order, dyke, justice, erne, peace, tyke, prosperity, and the three moirai, the fates, white-robed personifications of destiny, namely Clotho, the spinner, Lycius, the allotter, and Atropos, the unturned, an alternative version of the parentage of the creation by Nyx in the Pelagians. I see. Zeus's third wife was the Oceanid Uranome. He likes the ocean people. So Uranome was originally the mother of creation, the Pelagians. But uh -huh. here, Uranome is just an Oceanid, who bore the three charities of gr or graces, goddesses of charm, beauty, nature, human creativity, and fertility, namely Ag Aglia, beauty, Eur Euf Euphrosine, mirth, and Thalia, good cheer. Okay. Zeus's fourth wife was his own sister Demeter, who bore Persephone, who was later to marry Hades and bear Melion, Melino, goddess of ghosts, Zagreus, god of the Orphic mysteries, and Macaria, goddess of the blessed afterlife. So many gods. <laughs> Zeus's fifth wife was the titan Nem Nemosine. He gets around. From whom came the nine muses. This isn't even his like affairs. These are his wives. I know. Uh, <clears throat> from whom came the nine muses. Clio for history. Euterpe, music. Thalia, comedy. Another Thalia. Melpomene, tragedy. Uh, Terp Terpishore, dance. Erato, lyric poetry. Polyhemia, choral poetry. Urania, astronomy. And Calliope, heroic, heroic poetry. C or Calliope. Do you think he just settled for Hera and then... We're getting there. Okay. Zeus's ex-wife was the second generation titan Leto, who gave birth to Apollo, the god of music, poetry, and oracles, who was born on the floating island of Delos after Hera had banned Leto from giving birth on Earth. And his twin sister Artemis, goddess of the hunt, childbirth, and fertility. Zeus's seventh and final wife was his sister Hera, who gave birth to Hebe, cupbearer of the gods, Ares, god of war, Enio, goddess of war... Hephaestus, the lame blacksmith and craftsman of the gods, and Elithia, goddess of childbirth and midwifery. Outside his marriages, however, Zeus also had many affairs with mortal women, such as Semele, who was the mother of Dionysus, god of wine and ecstasy, Danae, who was the mother of the hero Perseus, Leda, who was the mother of Helen of Troy, uh, Clytemnestra, and the twins Castor and Pollux, and Alcamine, who was the mother of the hero Her Hercules, mm -hmm. or Heracles. So yeah, do you think he just settled for Hera and then was just like, I'm not going to marry anymore, I'm just going to screw around? I guess so. Yeah. That's the only explanation for why yeah, he Yeah, he's, just... he's pretty much like, I'm going to be the father of everything. Yep. 
that was the attitude. It's very patriarchal becoming dominant, especially yeah. when you look at that analysis we were talking earlier just, about how it's very matriarchal ideas and then Zeus is just, I'm going to put my dick in everything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Everything, everywhere, and I will marry all the best women until I don't want to. Just spread my seed <clears throat> around the land. Basically. Yeah. Zeus's brother Poseidon married the Nereid Amph- Amphitrite. You know, I was just thinking, uh, it's one of those things where I think he, f- because it says he feared the child born of his first wife. And he's just like, you know what? I'll just have children with so many different people. They'll all, you know, someone will be loyal to me. Everyone <laughs> will be loyal to me. <laughs> Could be. It's it's weird. Zeus's brother Poseidon married the Nereid, Nereid uh, Amphitrite and produced Triton, the messenger of the deep. The hero Theseus, who was the son of Athera, was considered to have been jointly fathered by both Poseidon and by Athera's, uh, Athera's, Husband Aegeus, as Ethra had lain with both on the night of his conception. Aphrodite was given in marriage by Zeus to his own son, the lame and ugly Hephaestus, in an attempt to prevent any jealousy and rivalry which might arise over her great beauty. But she nevertheless had an affair with Ares and gave birth to Eros, love, Phobos, fear, Demos, cowardice, and Harmonia, harmony. Harmonia would later marry Cadmus, the founder of Thebes, to sire Eno, Semele, uh, the mother of Dionysus by Zeus, Agwe, uh, Polydorus and Antone. There are two ideas about the creation of men. One following Prometheus in Hesiod's Theogony, and another in the grave seems to favor, and I think Hamilton breaks it down pretty well. This is uh, partially the five races we were just talking about. I see. Um, and I'm going to continue from Hamilton's book. He likes to use the books. I do. They're great. Yeah. Sometimes they say things better than I can in translating. By now, all was ready for the appearance of mankind. Even the places the good and bad should go to after death had been arranged. It was time for men to be created. There is more than one account of how that came to pass. Some say it was delegated by the gods to Prometheus, the Titan who had sided with Zeus in the war with the Titans, and to his brother Epimethus. Epimethus? Epimethus. Epimethus. It sounds like they're getting ready for a party. Okay, guys. Everyone Here we know. go. Time to go. make man. We got to make the man. Uh, yeah. We got. Well, because humans think they're a big deal. Tartarus, you got. Tar- okay. <clears throat> Those bad people. That's okay. good. All right. Cool. Oh, good. Okay. Let's do this. Prometheus, whose name means forethought, was very wise, wiser even than the gods. But Epimetheus, which means afterthought, was a scatterbrained person who invariably followed his first impulse and then changed his mind. <laughs> so he a did. Specific thing. Yeah. So he did this in this case. Before making men, he gave all the best gifts to the animals strength and swiftness and courage and shrewd cunning fur and feathers and wings and shells and the like until no god was left for men no protective covering and no quality to make them a match for the beasts too late as always he was sorry and asked for his brother's help (laughs) prometheus then took over the task of creation and thought out a way to make mankind superior he fashioned them in a nobler shape than the animals upright like the gods and then he went to heaven to the sun where he lit a torch and brought down fire a protection to men far better than anything else whether fur or feathers or strength or swiftness and then quoting Hesion, And now, though feeble and short-lived, mankind has flaming fire and therefrom learns many crafts. That's one way to put, we screw everything up. Mm-hmm. Hamilton continues, According to another story, the gods themselves created men. They made first a golden race. These, although mortal, live like gods without sorrow of heart. And this continues and uh, talks about all those different races we just covered. Right. And then Hamilton goes on later, Um... These two stories of the creation, the story of the five ages and the story of Prometheus and Pimethus, different as they are, agree in one point. For a long time, certainly throughout the happy golden age, only men were upon the earth. There were no women. Mm. 
Zeus created these later in his anger at Prometheus for caring so much for men. Prometheus had not only stolen fire from men, he had also arranged that they should get the best part of any animal sacrificed and the gods the worst. He caught up a great ox and wrapped the good eatable parts in the hide. Disgusting, uh, disguising them, sorry, disgusting, disguising them further by piling entrails on top. Besides this heap, he put another of all the bones dressed up with cunning and covered with shining fat and bade Zeus choose between them. This is another one of those cases where it's <clears> like, <throat> you know, someone someone looked at a, a boar and was just like, why is it so gross? Oh, it's because Prometheus deemed that we hide, we hide it away from the gods so that we give them all the crap. Right. Like, it, it feels like that. Yeah, like, it, it very backwards. much is like that. Um, so, uh, Zeus took up the white fat and was angry when he saw the bones craftily tricked out, but he had made his choice and he had to abide by it. Thereafter, only fat and bones were burned to the gods upon their altars. Men kept the good meat for themselves. But the father of men and of gods was not one to put up with this sort of treatment. He swore to be revenged on mankind first and then on mankind's friend. He made a great evil for men, a sweet and lovely thing to look upon in the likeness of a shy maiden, and all the gods gave her gifts, silvery raiment and a broidered veil, a wonder to behold, and bright garlands of blooming flowers and a crown of gold. Great beauty shone out from it. Whoa! Because of what they gave her, they called her Pandora which means the gift of all. When this beautiful disaster had been made, Zeus brought out her out and wonder took hold of gods and men when they beheld her. From her, the first woman comes, the race of women who are an evil to men with a nature to do evil. What a horrible way to, to portray women. Yeah. Like, so he created Pandora. Yes. And from Pandora came <clears throat> women. Okay. The Amazon. Who are created as an intent of evil against men. Man. That's awful. Yes. That's really... I this never, is Greek mythology. So here's, here's... So so like I said, there are those two different ideas about the creation of men. That is specifically men. This is the creation of women in Greek mythology. That's so interesting because, you know, <clears throat> you, you used to hear like the, the idea was... Uh, you used to hear like this kind of myth, quote unquote, running around that women and men uh, were split. You know, split beings. And that's why there are such things as soulmates was that because it would be like part of yourself is is in this woman, and but in this it's speculate it's it's essentially saying women was made because Zeus hated man right, that's messed up it is, uh now there is another story about Pandora that is the source of all misfortune that uh is that the source of all misfortune was not her wicked nature but it was her curiosity and right. uh, that's the a lot of the story about pandora's box um it involves the punishment of prometheus and it's told by echolus in the fifth century but that's a uh, much longer story that i want to do another time yeah that'd be fun to do. um and that's basically it that's the creation myth oh wow <clears throat> so we went through uh how it started with the earth and the sky mm-hmm. and then there were titans and then there were gods and then they killed the titans and then giants and then many 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 gods and then man and then women and then women <laughs> that's terrible after man did you did you get kind of anything about the creation of the amazons or is that or uh, should that be another time? That's a different time. That all of this creation myth happened well before the Amazons came along. I see. Okay. That's a later thing because think about the fact that we're we're talking about like all this patriarchal stuff came in. Yeah, that's kind of a counter thing that comes up. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure if the Amazons are actually part of Hesiod's theogony or from something else. Oh. So I need to do some digging on that one. But they are not technically part of the creation myth. That'd be a cool topic. They to are a later invention. So a different topic. Yes. Well, that was really good, man. Thanks, man. Uh, my sources were timelessmyths.com and their section on creation related to the serpent Orphic, uh, khanacademy.org, which is a fantastic site for students, uh, and their origin story article on Greek mythology. Uh, super awesome site. The HellenicTimes.com is an article on the beginning uh, GreekMythology.com and their article on the creation myth, and of course, Delaire's book of Greek myths, uh, super great, awesome introductory book to the uh, to the world of Greek mythology, and it's the one I, I have very fond memories of uh, growing up with. And the prime resource for all of this was Edith Hamilton's Mythology: Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, that's the Greek creation myth. Uh, what do you think? I thought it was really interesting. A lot of that stuff I didn't know. You kind of know the basics, yeah, uh, but you don't really know. Like, I did not know the thing about women. I didn't know the thing about the Pelagian separate myth about Uranome. Yeah, that was really interesting. Uranome and uh, an Orpheon. That was from who again? Uh, so that's the Pelagian yeah, myth. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, the Pelagians are translation of like the indigenous people of Greece. Right. So it's, it seems like it's something that preexisted Hesiod's Theogony. Yeah. But but again, like, like Robert Graves. History. But again, Robert Graves is the person who's most known for writing about it in the modern fashion that we know it now. Yeah. Uh, so he's the best record keeper of it, and that was written in 1955. And a lot of people are like, "Yeah, it's cool, it's poetic, but there's a lot of stuff that seems pretty weak in its contrast." So the 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 exact specificity and <clears throat> gravity of the things he wrote about is uh, up in the air. Where do you think it comes from? Like the the origin? Like where did he th- you think he found the I think he story. found. I think he found stuff, and I think there is stuff that predates what Hesiod wrote. Um, the the initial beginning ideas of what would become the Greek gods. Yeah. I do think it predates. It. I think we're looking at a uh, like a, a, a Sami, Sami, a Sami situation here. Um, I think that's very similar. Like I said, I want to get his book and really find out more. Um, but but the the unfortunate thing is that. Internet-wise, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of coverage about it. Okay, and the reason is because um, most people don't accept it as true Greek mythology anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I I think my impression from what I researched is that it is the mythology that predates what we know as the mythology. Right. But because the <clears throat> what we've just gone through, the majority of it is Hesiod's Theogony. That is the dominating definition of Greek mythology. Um, almost nobody talks about it anymore. Okay, that was really and and Homer. Homer and Orphix, theirs is just kind of there to fill their stories. Rather, It's like their own headcanon of what Greek mythology is rather than them actually being true to what Greek mythology was. Right, because they're trying to tell their own epic stories. Yes. And they need something. Yeah, so they, they very much alter the facts of what it was at the time just to make it work for them. Right, that makes sense. That was really cool. Yeah, I know there's a lot of names I had to throw out in there, but I'm just like, this. I'm just covering the creation of everybody, and I'm sure some of these names we're going to dig into at later dates. There's so many Greek gods. Yeah. Um, minor gods, major gods, it's all there. Uh, it's a lot to go through, a lot of freaking names. Um, but certainly, like, there are things about that. Certainly the the separate idea of the Plagian myths, that's something I want to dig into. Pandora, the whole thing. Uh, knowing that women were created to kind of punish men, pretty terrible, yeah, um, awful. <clears throat> but that that kind of does line up with a lot of Greek mythology thinking. Yeah, it is a very male-dominated mythology, though it does seem that it wasn't always that way. Yeah, because like we said, Judeo-Christian stuff; those ideas move in uh, the pre-Hellenic times. It very much seems it more favored matriarchal ideas. Mm-hmm. Even retaining Gaia is still the source of creation. Mm-hmm. Is nice. Yeah, there was definitely something that changed around the world. For sure. Um, 
It's kind of interesting. You know, there's a lot of things that the Greeks were more were more into than you know in Judeo Christianity and the Judeo Christian stories kind of went around the the world. Uh, a lot of things that the Greeks were okay with became taboo. Right. Like Spartans, the famous story is that Spartans would sleep together. Yeah. Because that would ha- that's how they re- because they homosexuality needed- was not weird. Yeah, it was they needed to trust each other, and that's how they would do it for sure. And uh, you know, it became a sin after when Christianity came around. Yes. So you know. It's interesting stuff to to kind of like track the the origins of these things. Absolutely, but yeah, that's that's uh, so that'll do it. That'll do it. That's my Greek creation myth report. Very good stuff. I guess <clears> that'll uh, that means we should get out of here. Yeah, that'll cover us until we do our next discussion. Uh, you've got one coming up in a couple weeks. Yep, I will say what it is when we do it. Okay. Um. So that'll that I guess that that'll be the end. I actually have it written down. Our, our ending. Oh man. Yeah, it's exciting. This is fantastic. Thank what you. What a time. Thank you to everyone who listens. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, on, seriously. On, on Thanks for coming places. back for this. Yeah. Um, we we wouldn't be here without you. Well, we probably would, but, you know, I'd like to make you guys feel better. Um, I'd like to make you, us feel better. <laughs> me too. Uh, thank you to Jeremy Vellucci. He is our uh, collaborator on both Fake Nerd and Mythalanias. Um, great guy. A great guy. We, we really love him. Um, you can find him at Jeremy Vellucci Keyboards. That's his Instagram. Um, he does our music that plays in a couple minutes here. Uh, you can find his, his podcast, Suburban Proctologist, on iTunes or Facebook.com slash Suburban Proctologist Official. Instagram at Suburban Podcast. Uh, Mike Matola, good friend of ours, uh, did our logo. Thank you very much for that. You can find him at Mike Matola. Sparks and I do another podcast called yes, we do. Fake Nerd Podcast, which we talked a little bit, little bit about at top. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like geek uh, stuff, uh, we do that a little bit more consistently. That's every Sunday. Um, you can check that one out. A couple specials coming uh, come out, and we do reviews, movies, and things like that. So if that jives your boat, check it out. Yeah. Just jives your boat thing? Mm, sure. It is now. Um, We're hoping that we can get some uh, guests to talk with us more about myths on here, too. Yeah. Uh, until... Uh, but until that point, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at P. That's M-Y-T-H-E-L-L-A-N-E-O-U-S-P. Um, miscellaneouspod at gmail.com I'm at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter Sparks you're at uh, Sparks Witty on Instagram and Twitter S-P-A-R-K-Z Witty uh, Subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud and rate and review wherever you get us we greatly appreciate it until next time guys uh, insert ending catchphrase here I still don't have one don't myth the next episode yeah, sure <laughs> <laughs>